This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Communication is one of the keys to a successful business, but it would seemingly be the key to success in a hospital. Communication between doctors and nurses, doctors and patients, and much more. Dr. Adrian Boise has put together a book that looks at the good and the bad of this issue in her work as chief experience officer at the Cleveland Clinic, and she joins us on the phone right uh, joins us on the line right now. Adrian, great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you. The book is titled, by the way, Communication, the Cleveland Clinic Way, How to Drive a Relationship-Centered Strategy for Superior Patient Experience. Uh, the, the patient experience, obviously, we've talked with, uh, with uh, a few different members of the medical community, especially being involved in hospitals, and it is, it is really seemingly one of the most important focuses that hospitals have these days. Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, we've been thinking a lot about patient experience for probably the past decade. Um, And I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Dr. Toby Cosgrove's story in that, but that was really the spark that lit the fire for us around patient experience. Well, in your title and and the work that you do there, it obviously is is a point of emphasis for yourself because the experience is not just, you know, how the patient is treated when they're actually being looked at by a doctor or, or, or with a nurse, but it's the whole experience of, of coming to the hospital and what is, what is all about the hospital, the whole kind of, the, the whole neighborhood around the hospital. That's right. I mean, we, we know from studies that people are making choices. You know, you just talked about decision-making and the biology of that. We, we know that patients are making choices about where they're going to go and who they're going to see based on the experience that they have at that hospital or organization. Those are the things people go home and talk about at the Thanksgiving Day table. And that's what they'll remember. Are, are doctors and, and nurses and the staff, uh, is the training that they receive in terms of their preparation for working at a, at a facility like the Cleveland Clinic, is that even being tweaked a little bit so that this patient experience is, is a growing part of their whole understanding of what it is to be a doctor or be a nurse these days? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, there's lots of humanism and communication skills training going on in medical schools and nursing schools, probably even more so. And I I think that's great. I just, if you think about it for a second, it's important to understand that before you're a staff physician or a nurse out on the floor, when you're in school or a student, you have minimal responsibility. You don't have a lot of on the ground, real world experience and your empathy levels are probably at an all-time high. They're not probably at an all-time high. We know they're at an all-time high. Right. And yet the challenge comes when you're really the one with full responsibility to sit down with a patient you've never met before and tell them they have ALS or to tell someone who thinks they have one disease that they have another. Yeah. And those types of conversations, that carries the emotional burden I think, for the clinicians who have those. So how much of the teaching does the Cleveland Clinic have to do on top of what the doctors and, and nurses and the rest of the staff have picked up in, you know, doctors in medical school or nurses, you know, in medical school? 
Yeah, well, it's really important, actually, for a couple of different reasons. The first of which is just what I said, that, you know, it's very different being a student and studying it versus having your, you know, being immersed in it up to your chest. Yeah. <laughs> the second and the second thing is, you know, transparency is a driving force across healthcare systems today. And so not only is patient experience valued, but we're transparent about how organizations and individual doctors, clinicians are performing. And that's both internally as well as externally, right? A patient yeah. can go on Google and look up Cleveland Clinic physicians or clinicians and see what other patients are saying. And we know that guides choices. And so we actually learned that once you make it transparent at that level, you also really have to be able to follow that up with training. Meaning what's the point of being transparent if you don't have programs that actually support your people to get better. That's the definition of futility. It's very risky in my mind. And so you have to be able to do both. Be willing to be transparent and drive that as an organization, which I think we did, and to be able to back that up with resources to help your people. The book is Communication the Cleveland Clinic Way, How to Drive a Relationship-Centered Strategy for Superior Patient Experience. Our guest is Dr. Adrienne Boise, who's the Chief Experience Officer at the Cleveland Clinic. She uh, worked on this book with uh, Dr. Tim Gilligan, who is the former co-director of the Cleveland Clinic Center for uh, Excellence in Healthcare Communication. Uh, the the model, as it's referred to, that, that the Cleveland Clinic works off of in terms of the communication process is called READY. R-E-D-E. Can you go into more about what this is and how it is become implemented in what the Cleveland Clinic's doing on a day-by-day basis? Sure. So uh, I'll tell you a quick story. So when I was asked probably about eight or nine years ago to develop a communication skills training program for the Cleveland Clinic, I thought, well, that'd be great, Um, (laughs) you know, trying to deliver training or teaching around a product for a service that most people think they're already good at. Um, and don't think they need. Yeah. And yet the complexity of the conversations and the fragility of those conversations really became very interesting to me. Could we deliver training that would honor that? And I, as a practicing neurologist, never really thought much about how I communicated, even though I had gotten training in school earlier, and I thought I was really good. And one of my colleagues came up to me and said, you know, I think we should couch these communication skills in the context of a relationship. Right. And I looked at her and I thought, what are you talking about? Like my job as a doctor isn't to build relationships (laughs) with (laughs) my patients. You know, I'm, I'm stamping out disease. I'm prescribing medicine. And (laughs) I, it was an aha moment because I reflected back earlier in my career when I had tried to tell some patients some really difficult information and it was the first time I was meeting them and they didn't, it didn't land on them really well. (laughs) And in my youth, I didn't understand it. I thought, what's wrong with you? I'm telling you the truth. This is really important. I'm telling you things nobody else said. Um, But giving that information in the absence of a relationship, patients won't hear you. And so To me, that was an aha moment that relationships in it, although it may not sound earth shattering to you, for many clinicians, it might be because not all of them view their job necessarily as to build relationships with their patients. And yet that is the one thing that 
is incredibly therapeutic for both. Well, you talk in the in the book about how there are certain situations or, or maybe involving uh, certain diseases that doctors have a very hard time with wanting to discuss some of the topics or, or wanting to get into a, a, a lengthy discussion about various elements. I mean, it, it, I think we assume that doctors, when they're dealing with a field of expertise or, or a, a disease, th- they don't have any concerns in terms of having the conversation. You talk about the fact that they actually do. Oh, yeah. I mean, this work leaves, as I said, sort of an emotional residue uh, on caregivers without a doubt. And in fact, so the the training we offered was an eight-hour training. It's a lot of creative methods of improv and group facilitation, physicians to physicians. Uh, And what was so interesting was that the first rendition actually didn't allow them to bring their toughest cases. And we added that later. Mm-hmm. And the reason we added it is because their suffering was so palpable. You could mm. you could hear these stories of these incredibly powerful, awful, tragic moments that they had witnessed or been a part of that had never maybe really been processed in any other space. And we recognized we had an opportunity to draw out what are the moments that have haunted you in your career? Let's talk about those and not just get a shared experience or viewpoint that that's yeah. suffering everybody has seen, but let's help you from a communication standpoint. And so I think it is part our own discomfort about having those conversations. And it's probably really underestimated the impact those conversations have on us. Is it, I guess, in some respects, it's a challenge with doctors because you're talking about doctors that have a wide range of experience. And I say that because there are some doctors that have been in the industry for, you know, 30, 40 years. They're well-respected. They have, you know, they have come from an old school type of mentality and and maybe they haven't had that relationship with their patients. And, And how hard is it, or I won't say hard, challenging is it for doctors to understand that these relationships end up being a lot of times the difference in, in the healthy outcomes of a patient. I have no idea what you're talking about when well, you say it might be challenging for doctors. Well, I'm just I, I kidding. Mean, well, okay. <laughs> of course. Wow, exactly. Oh, man, you scared me there for a second. <laughs> so, of course. I mean, I, I think the challenge is that all of us maybe really have a role in modeling the skills we want to see in the world without being too cliché. But that our facilitators who were physicians who sat in many of those conversations, we actually really train them on how do you stay empathically curious, right? So let's say somebody comes into the course and you could see them kind of kicking back or rolling their eyes or, you know, not really fully engaging. Our job isn't to convince them of how vital this is. Our responsibility as a facilitator is to sort of approach them with the same empathy and curiosity we would anybody else. And to sort of say... You know, give me a sense of what your exposure to prior training has been. Tell me a little bit about why you think this could be helpful or maybe why it wouldn't be helpful in your environment. Let's just stay curious about it without judging where it's coming from. 
We're talking with Dr. Adrian Boise of the uh, Cleveland Clinic. She's their chief experience officer. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. I guess a part of this is also, as you alluded to, with a good bit of this training happening more and more in medical schools, that not that you ever want to have the training that you're doing go away, but it will become more the norm as the cycle of doctors kind of changes over the next couple of decades. And, and doctors that had this training in in medical school understand right from the get-go how important this is. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I, you know, empathy is a relentless pursuit. Right. Uh, yeah. you, you can't in today's environment just expect that empathy is thriving around every corner, right? There's incredible pressures in the healthcare atmosphere, incredible time of change, resources are constricting and expectations are higher. And so empathy, I think, needs to be very intentionally fostered and garnered and reinforced. And people need to be held accountable. I would go so far as to say people need to be held accountable for it as Mm. all these changes continue. We can't just think it's going to happen. It doesn't always just happen. Uh, You also talk in in the book, and I think you kind of alluded to it a little bit ago, is in talking with with the doctors at at the Cleveland Clinic, they do end up showing a kind of a vulnerability uh, that that they have in terms of of being a doctor on a day-to-day basis. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is... You know, this is incredibly complicated work, and it's human work. I mean, we can't forget that you're working with other human beings. We're not just patients and doctors. We're humans, and that's a shared experience. It's a shared emotional experience. And I don't think, you know, I talk sometimes about this concept called empathy and design, Mm -hmm. that if you were going to design a communication skills training program and you go at it, just with the idea that you'll teach people reflective listening and shared decision-making when the very people you're trying to teach are burned out and exhausted and just lost all of their resources, your training will fall on deaf ears. So the go go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry, go ahead. Finish up. No, the the training just needs to attend to both end users, quote unquote, right? The idea that both caregivers and patients need to benefit. There's reciprocal influence of us on each other, and that that relationship in and of itself is really therapeutic for both. Is this a, a program that really uh, benefits not only the doctors, but but the nurses and, and many of the employees that work at, at a hospital? Because if, if you think about it, somebody comes to the hospital, they're going to meet somebody to take their, their, their uh, insurance information, you know, somebody that's garnering that first bit of information right at the top. Uh, and it goes all the way through the process to the, uh, the nurse or, or the person that works at the hospital that actually escorts them out, especially if they have to, you know, r- ride in a wheelchair chair to the front door of the facility. So I would guess that this is a a program that really does benefit everybody within the hospital organization. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you say that because when our journey began about 10 years ago, we put all 40,000 caregivers through something we called the Cleveland Clinic Experience, which was exactly what you're describing. It was a cultural leveling where we didn't call people doctors and nurses, we called them caregivers because we all are here for the same purpose. We talked about the mantra of patients first, that's our North Star. 
We talked about how do you deliver service? How do you respond when it doesn't work? And we've built that into expectations of every caregiver here at the Cleveland Clinic. And I think of it as a continuum, right? There are some services a bit different in my mind than complicated advanced topic communication skills, right? right. For for a surgeon who's been practicing for 50 years. Right. You need, you can't, I don't think you can simplify necessarily a lot of the conversations that clinicians have and that complexity needs to be honored and organizations need to also embed that level of service across every single touch point. So I view it on a continuum. The, the book obviously is, I, I, it feels like it, it is geared towards the, the, the medical professionals, but I almost think it's a book that, uh, that people just in the general public to get a little bit more of a sense of what it's like uh, within, you know, being a doctor, being a nurse and understanding the, the struggles that, that some of these uh, people have on a daily, daily, daily basis, because in part, they're also so busy. It, it's a book that can, you know, a lot of people can benefit from reading from. That's right. I mean, the public can absolutely learn. And we're, again, we're talking about the human experience, which has universal appeal, obviously. And I think, you know, a couple of key concepts. One is people behave differently when they're in a relationship when they're not. Right. right? I mean, I might be nicer to you if I've already met you or I know you a few times. And right. your language changes, right? It's the difference between saying to your partner when you come home, why haven't you taken out the trash already? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> um, w- which probably isn't the most effective language to build relationship, right? Yeah. You might want to reconsider if that's your goal. And very similarly, if you were trying to get somebody to quit smoking, your language would sound different versus if you were trying to build a relationship with them first. So even those small examples draw out the same skills. There's not something fancy and complicated about the techniques. It's just intentionality and application of those. Have, I think some, uh, sorry, uh, some of, go ahead. Go ahead. You go, you go. No, oh, I go. Okay. So some of the lessons we learned in the end was really around, uh, we gave some simple do's and don'ts, right? Just based on what we learned from the clinicians. Yeah. And some of the don'ts were things like, please stop saying, don't worry. Because as family members and loved ones, we worry. Uh, please stop saying, I understand, unless you've really taken the time to understand and explore. And please start using phrases like and rather than but, right? It's not, I understand you want that medication, but I'm not going to give it to you. It's, I understand you want that medication and let's talk about next steps. So there are some real universal lessons in there. Adrian, great to have you on the show. It's a, it's a really interesting book, and, and it covers, obviously, a, a very important topic uh, uh, in, in the medical field today, one that you know is a byproduct of, of what doctors and nurses do on a, on a daily basis, but so very important right now. Thank you very much for coming on today. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Dr. Adrian Boise from uh, the Cleveland Clinic. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.com. Dot edu.